You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura Geiser. This month, we're reading Social Emotional Learning and the Brain by Marilee Springer. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the SLP Book Club. We are going to do a little game at the beginning of this episode just to help everybody get to know us, maybe get some chuckles out of you if we're lucky. So the game we're going to play today is called High Low Buffalo. So we're each going to share from our week a high point, a low point, and the buffalo is just something random. So buckle up. Here we go. So Adrian, I actually like this game. I just read about it and I feel like it's a great game for our pragmatic language kids or just any speech groups to start out your group with high low buffalo. I think it's cute. Me too. And I like that it can be as revealing as you want it to be. So you can make it silly. Well, why don't we start with you, Laura? What is your high? Okay, well, my high is, and this is such a generic answer, but it feels like the weather in Los Angeles is finally clearing up. I never (laughs) knew I had seasonal affective disorder until this year when it has rained an unprecedented amount. Okay, yes. (laughs) Uh, And it just, today, it's just beautiful, and I'm hoping it's here to stay, and that's it. That's my high. (laughs) I love the rain, but... You know, as we talked about, I think when we were not recording the rain, like Southern California, we're just not made for this much rain. Every store I go into, the roof is leaking. Yes. (laughs) Um, And it has been an ongoing problem and it just seems like the rain will not stop. So, I mean, my sister has a convertible, her convertible, like the cloth roof is leaking. Everybody's car smells like mildew. (laughs) (laughs) It has been horrible. Yeah. But, you know, all of you out there, maybe you live in the Midwest or something or somewhere where it snows. So we probably sound like big babies. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. I'm <laughs> sure everybody feels really bad for yeah. us living in Southern California. It's all relative. Okay. So what's your high? My high is that today I got to go to my daughter's preschool and help out. I am room mom. And room mom just means you throw parties and you send out sign up sheets for people to bring stuff for the parties. So today was the Easter party and I got to go early and I got to watch her class do like an Easter egg hunt. And then I helped with the parties. So it was really cute. And I don't know, I just love being in her classroom and I love seeing her little friends and she gets so excited. So it was fun. That's fun. Yeah. What's your love, Laura? My low is that, you know, I've told you I moved into a new house and I really love it. We love it. But we are just having a really hard time getting the temperature right in all the rooms. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. I do sound like such a baby. I sound like such a baby. I'm (laughs) complaining about the weather and now about the temperature in my house. Well, yeah, we're just struck. You know, it's those growing pains when you move to a new place, just figuring out your new place and getting things together. That's it. That's my low. Hey, and if that's my lowest low right now, then I feel very lucky. Things are going pretty good. That's (laughs) for sure. What's your low this week, Adrian? Okay, so I guess a lot of this is centering around my daughter, but there is a stomach bug going around her school and she was having some tummy issues on Sunday and a little bit on Monday at school, but it wasn't like enough to pull her out of school. And then Monday night, 
you know, I'm sleeping. She comes into my bed, which happens somewhat. So we're sleeping. And then all of a sudden she just vomited everywhere in the bed. And I don't know, like being woken up out of a deep sleep at like 1230 at night to vomit and having to clean it up is just unparalleled so (laughs) it was pretty wild but um it only happened that once so I guess I'm grateful for that but yeah yeah, it was not a great time and your buffalo Laura all right my buffalo is that in my pool we've been having a little very sweet duck couple come and visit us they come and swim around in the pool and they're so adorable and I love them. But the owner of the house told me I have to scare them away. So twice today, I had to run out with a broom (laughs) and like shoo these ducks until they flew over my house. Oh, no. And it's the same little couple. They love my pool. They're trying to make it their home. But she said there's been problems in the past. So I just feel like a crazy person out there waving that broom around at these sweet ducks. (laughs) Wait until they show up with their babies. It's going to be even worse. She was like, just get rid of them whenever they're there. Scare them away. Because if they have babies here, you're never getting them out of your pool. Oh, no. And they probably <laughs> poop in there and stuff. I'm sure that's... she's Yeah, that was the... I didn't want to say it, but she said the pool guy complained last year because there was a lot of poop in the filter. Wow. We are talking about <laughs> bodily <laughs> situations. Bodily fluids. <laughs> Oh, all right. What's your buffalo? Okay. My buffalo is positive and not gross. (laughs) So I like to shop at Trader Joe's. Highly recommend. And last week I found, I mean, I know we're talking about this week, but I found a delicious product. Trader Joe's chocolate mousse eggs. This is a seasonal product. It is a dessert and it is so good. Like I bought one pack, brought them home, ate it. There's six. They're so good. Then I went and bought two more packs because I was scared <laughs> they were going to sell out because it's like an Easter seasonal treat. So if you're a chocolate person, I highly recommend. They're first of all, really cute. And they come in these egg shapes and they have a variety of like decorative icing on them. But it's like a layer of delicious moist chocolate cake with a layer of mousse on top and that's sort of a chocolate ganache and I it's hard for me to not eat like two uh in a sitting so yeah oh my gosh that sounds so good five stars chef's kiss (laughs) (laughs) all right so that was high low buffalo stay tuned we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get into this week's chapter do you love free stuff This month, we'll be giving away a $100 Amazon gift card, plus a copy of next month's book, Take Time for You, Self-Care Action Plans for Educators by Dr. Tina Bogren. Trust us, you guys. We're a new podcast, and your odds of winning this thing are pretty high. Please help us out and just think of all the amazing things you can get from Amazon. Maybe some self-care things if you want to stick with May's book thing. Some bubble bath, more books, wine. Did you know you can get wine from Amazon? Listen, we're not here to judge. Here's how to enter. If you love the podcast, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple or Google Podcasts. Then take a screenshot of your review and email it to hello at the slpbookclub.com. If you want extra entries in the drawing, post about an episode you loved on your Instagram stories with a link to the show and make sure to tag 
at SLP underscore book club. Please don't mention that it's part of a giveaway and only post if you really do love the show. If you have any questions about how to enter, email us at hello at the slpbookclub.com. We've also included all of this information in the show notes if you're more of a visual learner. We'll be accepting entries until April 20th. Then we'll draw a winner. Good, Good luck! luck. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club podcast. This month, we're reading Social Emotional Learning and the Brain. And in today's episode, we're covering chapter three, which is self-awareness. So, Adrian, I don't know how in detail you got reading this initial story about the twins. I didn't know where it was going. I was like, where is this wild tale going? Honestly, <laughs> even now, I don't know exactly. I... I'm going to, I guess I will sum it up. Okay, so she starts this chapter with a story of two twins who grow up and marry twins. So these are two female twins who grow up and also marry identical twins. And then they get pregnant at the same time. So I'm like, is this story just a fictional story to demonstrate a point? I don't know. We don't know what's going on here. But basically, there's a more ambitious twin who's really into her job, and she isn't excited about being a mom. So when she has the baby, she doesn't smile at him. She tells him not to ask stupid questions when he's growing up, and she punishes him a lot. And then the other twin just falls in love with her baby, provides a really loving and language-rich environment for him, And then when the two kids enter kindergarten together, the kid that had the loving mom, which is just terrible to say that versus the other mom. Okay. The kid with the really loving mom has no trouble keeping up, but the other one doesn't understand a lot of things in the classroom and he's too scared to ask questions. So her point of this story is that every kid who comes into your classroom whether you think they're coming from kind of similar environments, we're literally talking about two kids with the same genetic makeup coming from the homes of siblings, <laughs> but the way they've been treated determines how they feel about themselves and what they're bringing into your class. Yeah. Okay. So what'd you think of that story? Well, like, okay, listen, Marilee, I get it. I understand the point. Like you're trying to take away any genetic component that would cause these learning differences and just put it on the environment. However, did feel a little like working mom shamey, you know? Right. She's a career woman. Yeah. <laughs> what to say? She didn't even want to get pregnant. I don't know. It's not an excuse to like not nurture your child, but I, I was confused. And I still don't know if it was real. I think it was hypothetical. <laughs> I think it was hypothetical too. I mean, how many twins, how many identical twins are out there marrying other identical twins? Yeah. Is this a thing that's happening a lot? (laughs) Not a lot. I think occasionally you might read about it in the paper or something. Yeah. I do think it it was a good way to kick off the chapter, keep you on your toes. (laughs) (laughs) It got my attention. Okay. So emotions dictate behaviors which can sometimes end up being inappropriate. So kids act out because of a feeling they have, but they might not be able to identify that feeling and they really need our help in identifying it. Self-awareness is the ability to recognize your own emotions in various situations and to put a name to them. So you build this skill when other people recognize emotions in you and help you label them by saying things like, you look sad, I'm sorry you lost your doll. And by the way, my whole life, I have a face that people call a name I won't say, you know, RBF. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I have a face 
that people call RBF. And my whole life, I've had people say to me, what's wrong? And I'm just like, nothing's wrong. What are you talking about? So I don't know. I, I'm a yeah. little sensitive to when people just go, hmm, you look blank. You look sad. You look upset. This is just my face. <laughs> but kids do need us to do this so that they learn That's about true. emotions. Teachers need to be emotional coaches because parents aren't all equipped to do it. So you can begin by helping students recognize their own emotions so that they can learn to control them. Once emotions are controlled, students can recognize the emotions of others. So some components of self-awareness are to be able to identify your emotions, to have an accurate self-perception, recognize strengths and weaknesses, possess self-confidence, and demonstrate self-efficacy. So that's the belief in your ability to achieve a goal. Merrily goes into the specific areas in the brain that are responsible for self-awareness. And she says that self-awareness is the only way we can access the emotional brain on a conscious level. She's basically explaining flipping your lid, which we know from the whole brain child. So in some instances, your amygdala just totally takes over. You go into fight or flight and you might make a decision that you regret. But if you're self-aware and can name the emotion, which in the whole brain child, they called name it to tame it. So if you know I'm feeling angry, then you're engaging your prefrontal cortex and that helps you make a better decision. The frontal lobe can't really assist you unless you're aware of your feelings. And since the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until your mid-20s, guidance is needed during the developmental years. So we can teach kids mindfulness, which is the intentional practice of focusing on awareness in the present moment. That will affect both cognitive and emotional function. So it's a really good skill to be teaching to kids. You can build a sense of agency. So that's the feeling of being in charge, of knowing that what you say makes a difference in what happens to you and of knowing that you have the ability to shape your circumstances. And this helps you become a lot more aware. I mean, this is a skill... I don't know if this is just something people are born with. We see a lot of people who really always feel like things just happen to them and don't have that sense of agency and that sense of control in their lives. And if you can teach this to kids, I don't know. Do you think this is something you're born with or it can be learned? I think it can be learned. Okay. You know, it's probably a harder road. <laughs> but yeah, I think it can right? be learned. Don't you just know those people who are like, this happened to me and this happened yeah. to me. <laughs> You're like, take some responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes they just need like the right thing to happen, kind of smack you out of that like thought pattern maybe. But yeah, yeah, I know people like that. <laughs> Another way to activate the self-awareness structures is increasing dopamine. So sometimes you just need to get students up and moving and engage them in projects and working on goals that aid in the release of dopamine. So Marilee now is going to go into some strategies for teaching, some really specific strategies for teaching self-awareness. She says you can build an emotion vocabulary. Students obviously need words to express their emotions in order to understand them. So you can use an emotion word wall. Many students are just going to have those really basic feeling words like happy, sad, mad. So providing a variety of vocabulary words related to emotion could help them express a feeling more accurately. 
And after emotions are labeled, we can start to figure out what to do about it, which will lower the activation of the amygdala and raise activation in the prefrontal cortex. Well, I actually wanted to say something about the emotions because I feel like I work on goals like this sometimes with kids who are on the spectrum who need to work on, you know, identifying emotions using pictures so they can read people's faces. And it is really common for these kids to just be able to do like the five basic emotions, right? Like happy, sad, mad, scared. And then even like beyond that is really hard, worried, you know, what are some like disappointed pointed which kind of looks like sad jealous yeah like yeah there is confused. a really long list of other emotions that are more complex and if you think about it when we teach these emotions it'll have a really great trickle down because like i think Marilee was kind of saying this in the book but you know if you can identify more emotions in others you can identify it within yourself and then hopefully the student's writing improves because they're able to have a little more empathy and then also include these in their writing if you're doing creative writing. So, you know, I think it's really great to focus on this. And I try to just move beyond the basic five emotions, because I think there's so many ways for that to be really helpful for students, no matter what their age. Yeah, this reminds me, I already talked about this CEU event that I attended back when we were discussing Smart But Scattered, but it was talking a lot about executive functioning. And one idea that the presenter showed us was for emotions, going to Home Depot and getting those paint strips where they have like blue, all the different blues and using like the red one for anger. And then for each one kind of having like a different word and a different level of your anger. Or if it's angry, you could have one, two, three, four, five, just giving an extra, Mm. but it could be, you know, upset, mad, angry, For us, I don't know, like you could have all these different words and using the paint strips to show like severity. (laughs) Yeah, the severity of the emotion. I feel like I've been seeing on social media a lot lately because it's sort of like a therapy thing, the emotion wheel. Have you seen that where it's like it's a circle in the middle that has the basic emotions and then the next circle out has more specific and then the final circle out has many different ones. So it's also to help you, even adults, obviously identify your own emotion. So if you're like, wow, I'm feeling really mad, then you can look at the wheel and be like, okay, I could be mad or I could be feeling disappointed or angry or wronged or, and then as it spirals out, you can sort of like pinpoint the exact emotion you're feeling. And then ideally, I think it helps you to process your emotions quicker because you're able to really name what you're feeling. But it's pretty cool. Pretty helpful tool. Okay. I love that. And I'm feeling like creating some more emotion stuff. Marilee has a really good list in the book of different emotions. Yeah. All right. So our next strategy for teaching self-awareness is greetings, which we've already learned about. A greeting when a student enters your room can offer them a feeling of belonging. When students know that someone sees and hears them, it tells them they're valued and that they have worth. And that awareness can help them understand and shine a light on how they feel. Greeting students by name and using a positive statement will increase engagement by 27%. (laughs) I just said that like it's a it's absolutely going to happen. Yeah, ideally. Studies have, a study <laughs> showed that greeting students by name and using positive statements increased engagement by 27%. And it also increases on-task behavior and attention to learning. You know, Marilee is into a greeting. This is oh, she, <laughs> no, the third time it's come up. <laughs> you know what? 
And I love it. I am like picturing Marilee's room <laughs> being a party. And next episode, I think we're going to get more into it, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm excited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the music, the routines. It's just she's, yeah. uh, she sounds like a really fun, magical teacher. Yes. Okay. Our next strategy is using check-ins. So if you can't do personalized greetings at the door, maybe do a check-in at the morning meeting to see how kids are feeling. There's a really great list of prompts on page 71 for questions you could ask kids in a morning meeting. You could also do just one word check-ins when students are working. Just write a question on the board and have them answer with one word, just like, how are you feeling right now? Or what do you do when times get tough? She also recommends using the Inside Out movie with the five emotions going, you know, inside the brain. Many teachers will show this at the beginning of the year to begin a discussion yeah. about emotions. And then we'll use the colors of the characters to symbolize those emotions and even tape those to the students' desks to do periodic feeling check-ins. And she has some other ideas like doing little check-ins before kids leave for the day or an attendance chart where they check in with emojis. And she said that's a good way to kind of gauge the overall emotional state of the class because there might be something bigger going on at the school that's making them all a little more stressed or worried. And then you can kind of adjust the way you're teaching for the whole class's emotional state. Another way to check in is through journaling. So you can tie journaling to the curriculum, keep a journal that represents the life of a favorite character, or keep a journal from the viewpoint of someone living in the historical period you're studying. And she says you could also use prompts that she suggested for morning meetings as journaling prompts. Another way to check in on kids' feelings is through drawing. You can ask them to draw a picture of themselves, indicating how they felt about an assignment. This is a starting point for kids to think about their feelings about something, and it's not too personal. So it might feel too personal for a kid to tell you how they're feeling, but maybe to draw it wouldn't. I feel like when I worked at the middle school and upper grades, kind of like sixth, seventh, eighth grades, I had kids who were, you know, maybe they had learning disabilities or they had something going on where it was hard for them to verbalize things, but they were amazing artists. I can think of several kids that they were just so talented in that way. And yeah, I'm sure it could have, they could have used it to express their emotions, but it was just really nice for them to have something that they were proud of that they could show me. I mean, I think a lot of them were into anime too. So they would draw like anime characters and it always gave us something to connect about to talk about. And like I could really see it made them feel so seen for me to ask them and for them to show me and for us to have that interaction. So I do think that sometimes drawing can be a little window into some of these kids lives that it might be hard to see into their life otherwise. Yeah, definitely. And even, I mean, there's drawing is amazing when you have those kids who create their own drawings. Yeah. But also I learned in my first couple years when I was really overwhelmed, just coloring pages were like my go-to. I would just go online and search every character that all my kids were really into at the time. There was a lot of Pokemon. There was a lot of SpongeBob and Minions and all these different characters. I had this massive binder with sheet protectors filled with all these different coloring sheets for my kids. And you'd be surprised that even as old as fifth grade, tough kids just love to sit in color. And because it can be kind of mindless, they'll just talk to you too, while they're just filling it in. So a lot of times we put so much effort into planning these perfect sessions, right. but 
some of my kids would just get there and be like, can we just color today? Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. Like, yes, we can. That's not a lot of work for me. Go grab the coloring sheets. It's perfect. So I love drawing and coloring. It's my favorite thing to do. Another way to do check-ins is just taking breaks. So it's important to stop whatever you're doing sometimes and identify what you're feeling. You could be overwhelmed or upset or frustrated or even feeling joy. So that you could call these brain breaks or feeling breaks or just a break. And you can use them with individual students, small groups, or the whole class. Some teachers call it a stop, feel, solve or SFS break. Another way to check in is the I wish my teacher knew prompt. So simply ask your students to complete that sentence and you may discover quite a bit. She gave some examples. Some were really heavy. Some were things just like, I wish my teacher knew that I learn better when I'm listening to music. But that could be a really great way. Similar to drawing, it's like it takes a little pressure off if the child's just completing the sentence in writing instead of you kind of putting them on the spot and asking them what's going on or how they're feeling. Then she talks about the self-perception boots. This is a metaphor from the book, Fostering Resilient Learners. It's basically, if you were in the ocean with waves coming at you, you would lose your balance unless you had something like cement shoes grounding you. And the cement shoes are our beliefs about ourselves, our ideals, and integrity. So you can ask students to draw on a pair of boots and write on them what the cement is that keeps them grounded. I thought that was a sweet exercise. Yeah. Another way to check in is listening to the body. So feelings are closely associated with what's going on inside our bodies. Tell students to listen to what their body is telling them. Is your heart beating too quickly? Are your palms sweating? Do you feel like you need to move around? If this is something you want to use with your kids, I recommend you go to our Patreon page and download all of the whole brain child resources we have. They're all free because they did SIFT. So where you go through your body sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. And that's basically a check-in. It's a good way to check in and kind of go through everything that's affecting how you feel at the moment. But Marilee says many kids are told that the way they behave and feel is wrong. So they've learned to really suppress their feelings. And without a good relationship with their bodies, a person can't move to the next step of self-regulation. And then she describes, oh my gosh, I'm going to say this wrong, alexithemia. It's the Greek word for not having words for feelings. And she said, people with this see feelings as physical problems and they may try to escape them. They can't describe what they're feeling because they can't connect feelings with the physical sensations in their bodies. So they might have a lot of stomach aches or muscle pains. This is an interest. I mean, I don't want to get too woo-woo or into the mind-body connection, but Adrian, you know I'm a big mind-body <laughs> person. Yeah. Like, I'm always like, if I'm upset about something, I'm going to feel it in my lower back. So this is interesting. <laughs> and for kids, I could just see if they've had maybe some trauma or parents who don't allow them to express their feelings a lot, the feelings could manifest physically in things like sure. a lot of stomach aches or headaches. Hmm. All right. Another way to develop self-awareness is to help kids identify their strengths and weaknesses. So you can build on strengths once you've identified them and then kids, their self-confidence and motivation will increase. So ask students to write a journal entry about what they're good at and how they became so good at it. Or do the same for weaknesses and how the child feels that they could improve. What steps could they take? She recommends doing personal branding. So create just a brand 
that's a sense of who you are and what you stand for. You know, you could learn about other brands and how they, brands for products, how they use the strengths to define that brand and then come up with your own personal brand. So what, who inspires me? What am I good at? Uh, What could I be great at? And then you can even use social media or blogging to make posts showing off their brand. She says to build self-confidence, there's four factors. You need to use praise when it's appropriate, personally and publicly. Give students choice because they'll feel good when they have a sense of agency. Give students opportunities to share their strengths. Ask them what they're good at. And then also ask for help for yourself or others in that area. And the last self-confidence builder is to provide feedback that students can build upon. Next, she goes into how to develop self-efficacy. So that's the belief that you can succeed and the knowledge that you have the power to change so you can reach your goals. And there are two areas of focus. So teach students about the brain because when kids understand how their brain works and how it can change, they will believe that they can have an impact on how successful they are in the classroom. Teach them that the brain changes as they make new connections and reinforce prior knowledge. She gave the example that if you only play video games, your brain is changing in areas related to that activity and maybe losing the strength of connections in other areas. Do you remember the all thumbs? Oh my God, of course. <laughs> you just become all thumbs. <laughs> yeah, the push. brain that becomes all thumbs. So yeah. students need to learn that they are the boss of their brain and you need to help them develop a growth mindset. So students with a fixed mindset believe that the ability to do well in school is something that they're born with. But we know from Carol Dweck, author of Mindset, that everyone can learn if they work hard. And if you believe this, you will do better at school than people who have a fixed mindset. So teach students that their brains are like muscles, just like going to the gym and building your muscles. The more you work at learning and problem solving, the easier those things become. So she recommends a book called Amazing Grace by Mary Hoffman for middle school students to work on growth mindset. And you can focus on strengths as tools for improvement when students are striving toward a goal. When you're talking to kids, don't forget the power of the word yet. So you always say things like, you're not there yet, but you'll get there. And she wraps up the chapter saying to keep in mind that every student has a different level of emotional self-awareness. What we say in response to students' statements is really important. And we need to be more empathic with our responses to help students accept and recognize their emotions. So she gives kind of, at the end of each chapter, she gives examples of what to do or say in certain situations. So if a child says, I can't do it, you say, you can't do it yet, but we'll work on this together. If a child says, this is too hard, you could say, who do you think could help you with this. And if a child says, I feel sad, but I don't know why, you could say, are you thinking about something that makes you sad or offer for them to talk to the counselor or go to a calm down spot to think about it more and figure it out. And there are more examples at the very end of the chapter. So that is it. Do you have any final thoughts on self-awareness? No, you know, I liked all of these tips. And I think that kids can definitely benefit from focusing on their emotions and I really loved the like some things I wish my teacher knew. I think that could be great for speech too. And yeah, I thought it was a great chapter. I'm loving this book. I'm loving this book too. I mean, I've talked about it before. This might be an area where I wasn't feeling very confident. I worry sometimes that I'm not saying the right thing or making kids feel really comfortable or, you know, understood or seen. And so 
I just, I love having this information and getting ideas for how to react to kids. So that's it for chapter three of social emotional learning and the brain. If you are enjoying the podcast, we encourage you to leave us a rating and review and subscribe. That's the best way to support our podcast and help other people find us. And we hope you got a lot of information from this episode. Join us next time when we'll be discussing chapter four, which is self-management. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP Book Club to join the discussion after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? We've made all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals, available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP Book Club to download these great materials. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club. Find us on TikTok at the slp book club. 